Well, we were, we were praying this morning, and I was kind of praying over the tech team because the last time I had to stand up here, we had a laptop that was connected to Wi-Fi downstairs, and, you know, you talk about on a string and a prayer, um, that was that service. And then, you know, today we, we had a little uh, issue with the Zoom f- or YouTube feed, and, uh, but luckily the team here is pretty quick, so they got that fixed. So, yeah, just kind of some, some funny timing, but... Um, yeah, so today we're going to be going through 2 Samuel chapter 6, and uh, chapter 6 is really a, a pivotal chapter in the story of Israel, um, because it's the last chapter before we see God then create the Davidic covenant and the establishment of, of the city of Zion and Jerusalem, eventually the temple. And so... This morning, though, we're going to look at kind of the last scenes, the act that kind of starts that process or, or that, that next section, and that's the moving of the ark to the city of Zion or Jerusalem. So as John spoke last week, you know, where we are in the story, Saul is now dead, David is now king, he's, he's finished running, and so he's been ruling in Judah or the, the south for about seven years. And now, due to the events that happened between Joab and Abner, David is now king in the north as well. So you have a a united Israel that has come together again. So David then takes this unified army, and the Philistines were coming. And he wins a couple great victories over the Philistines. And um, we're going to pick up right at the end of those victories. So let's just pray. Lord, this morning we just thank you that we can gather, that even in this time of of pandemic, you've given us just the technology that allows us to connect our homes together, to connect as as a community and a congregation, that no matter what the world has thrown at us, Lord, your word continues to go out, and we just thank you for the blessing that your word is, for the encouragement that your word is. We just thank you that we could just gather this morning and just have such a powerful time of worship and and communion. And so, Lord, for all of these things, we just thank you and uh, praise your name. So, as mentioned, our passage today is is 2 Samuel uh, 6, and then we're going to be going through verses 1 through 12. So, this is the story of David trying to move the Ark of the Covenant, not the big Ark, Noah's, but the little Ark, um, to Jerusalem. But along the way runs into a couple problems. And Uzzah, who is minding the Ark, reaches out his hand to steady it and is struck dead. So it's a kind of fairly famous story. You know, it was often mentioned in Sunday school, you know, don't touch this. Um, And, you know, it's often been portrayed in art, you know, it was kind of a key plot piece of Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, the guy's face is melting. And, um, you know, I, I distinctly remember my children's Bible growing up having this great image of, you know, Uzzah, and he's kind of lit up by lightning, um, kind of, you know. And it was just kind of striking as a child because, you know, the Bible wasn't super interesting, and then you had this great scene of something happening. So I don't, I don't still have that Bible, but I did find a kind of similar image that I liked on the, on the internet. And 
looking at this, this image, you know, we've got this scene, there's action, there's drama, you know, we've got the people worshiping, you know, I, I like how there's palm branches being waved in front of it, which is, you know, exactly what happened is, you know, Jesus was entering Jerusalem, you know, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, you know, lots of, lots of repeats that happen in the Bible and, and, and forecasts of things to come. But it also kind of brings up some questions. So the, the first question that comes up is, well, why did God strike down Uzzah? You know, he's, he's trying to prevent the ark from tipping over. And instead, he gets struck dead by God. Now, you know, we know from the Pentateuch and also from Raiders of the Lost Ark that the ark is, is holy and dangerous, so no one is supposed to touch it. But, but surely God can allow an exception when someone has good intentions. And then kind of the second question that comes to my mind is, okay, they've got poles in the ark, we can see it, so why is it on the cart? And third, as we're going to read, why is David so afraid that he then leaves the ark in the middle of, of transferring it? So we're going to kind of explore some of those questions. Um, and, you know, as our sermon series is really focused on David, we're going to start with kind of what his role is in this scene. So in verses 1 and 2, we read, Now David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with them, with all the people who were with him, to Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the very name of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned above the cherubim. So, so it's kind of important to note here, David's taken the army and its followers to go retrieve the ark. Now, the ark has been sitting at Baal Judah for 20 years. So there's really no reason to rush to get the ark. But David, he's just won these big victories over the Philistines, and he kind of impulsively decides to go and get the ark and move it to his new capital in the city of David, which is Jerusalem. So, you know, we know, it's said in the Bible, it's been repeated for the last couple of weeks, that, that David is a man after God's heart. And so I believe that God laid it on his heart, possibly even years earlier, this desire to move the ark to the city of David. Now, we know and we'll likely learn more in the coming weeks about what God then builds in Jerusalem once the ark is there. But David's received this desire to move the ark, but he makes a, he makes a big mistake on the timing. And so it's not, it's not really conjecture to say that David's an impulsive man. We, we know that he righteously but very impulsively decided to jump up and fight Goliath. You know, a few weeks ago, we heard about how he was saved from impulsively destroying Nathan um, over being a slighted. And in a few weeks, we're going to learn about how David's impulse, plus a pretty healthy dose of lust, leads him into his worst situation yet. But however impulsive David is, or was, <laughs> he also sought God, and he inquired after God's plans. But in this scene, nowhere do we see that David seek the Lord. Nowhere do we see him make that inquiry. And so to kind of illustrate how unusual that was for David, consider that in the following passages of First and Second Samuel, there are eight times that the Bible specifically says that 
David seeks the Lord for guidance. And on even sometimes, he makes a second request for clarity. So we see it in 1 Samuel 23. There's two verses there. There's uh, in chapter, again in 23, he makes another two requests. This is the one where he goes back and, and um, gets clarity on, on how God wants him to do it. Chapter 30, then the second Samuel. So we see this eight times. So the absence of this in this story is quite unique. So not having sought the Lord, David and the army then head off to get the ark. And, you know, it's, it's clear and it's mentioned that this is just the chosen men of Israel and its followers. So there's no mention of priests or the Levites. There's no gathering of the greater nation to partake in this event. So verses 3 to 5, they placed the ark of God on a new cart that they might bring it to the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Aho, the sons of Abinadab, were leading the new cart. So they brought it with the ark of God from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Aho was walking ahead of the ark. Meanwhile, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all kinds of instruments made of fir wood and with lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. So cue the second mistake. So once in Bal Judah, the ark gets lifted onto a cart and proceeds to head down the hill towards Jerusalem. And, and this event is going to show us the cultural entropy that has happened, that, that Israel has suffered. So Israel has really lost who they were meant to be. They were God's chosen people. They're supposed to be a theocracy set aside to show God's sovereignty and glory. And they're a covenant people tied to the God that brought them out of slavery. But we must remember that 39 years earlier, the people asked Samuel to replace God with a king so as to be like the other nations. Then for 32 years of Saul's kingship, poor and lacking in spiritual leadership, plus then seven years as a divided nation, Israel has become so like the nations around them that they don't actually remember how to move the ark correctly. This is probably compounded by the fact that Saul slaughtered the entire city of Nob and all the priests there. So many of Israel's choices and decisions that we've seen in the last you know, months leading into this uh, chapter are now coming to bear. So, I mean, the question that comes to my mind is, well, why didn't David and his men just carry the ark using the poles? When we, when we look at that ark scene again, we, we can see the poles that are required to lift the ark onto the cart without touching it. So, so why was it not carried? Is it laziness? Pride? Because they're warriors and they shouldn't have to carry things? Or fear? And while all of these could be the answer, or maybe a mix of them is the answer, I, I think it was fear of the ark. You know, while Israel's may have forgotten who, meaning the Levites, and all the, 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 the poles that were the requirements to, to carry the ark, they did know not to touch it. And they likely remembered that 20 years previously, the ark had killed 70 men that tried to open it. They, they know not to touch the ark, but they're also scared to carry it the whole way with the poles. Now, this probably should have been a warning to David, but instead, he tells them to move the ark the, the safe way that they know, 
the way that the Philistines sent the ark back to them. This seems somewhat prudent, but it's really a sign of how lost they are as a culture and how in need of spiritual leadership they are. They look to the Philistines or, or the world for an answer that God would, and in the Bible, had provided. Now, I got to this point, I'm like, well, it's kind of easy to think that, you know, how was David to know how to move the ark? You know, he's had a pretty busy life, he's been running around, he's been hiding in caves, and he's been primarily a military leader, not a priest. But if we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 17, hundreds of years before this moment, Moses speaks to the tribes of Israel, prophesying to them that they would one day seek a king. And then he lays out very specific requirements in verses 18 to 20 from the Lord for any king of Israel, including that they be versed in the word of God. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him. And he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes, and doing them that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel." It's probably an understatement to say that David did not have the best spiritual mentor in Saul. Saul slaughtered the entire city of Nob and all the priests there. Priests, so Israel's kind of had this very diminished priest class for a couple decades. So if, if David didn't know how to move the ark, he's probably even unaware that he even needed to read the law. But this is why I believe the lightning in our scene is striking Uzzah's head. It was not his, his heart that was in the wrong place. It was the knowledge missing to move the ark safely. So in verse 6 to 10, we're going to read, But then they came to the threshing floor of Nacon. Uzzah reached out towards the ark of God and took a hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset it. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his irreverence, and he died there by the ark of God. David became angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah, and that place was called Perez Uzzah to this day. So David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? And David was unwilling to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David with him. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. So our scene now kind of reaches its pinnacle moment, our TSN turning point, per se. And as the cart's coming down the hill, the son Uzzah reaches out to steady the ark and is struck down by God. Now, we believe Uzzah had the best intentions for touching the ark. But we also must ask, why was he that close? None of David's men wanted to carry the ark, and they feared to be close to it. These are the chosen warriors of Israel, David's mighty men, and they have a very healthy fear that they do not want to be close to the ark. 
but Uzzah is right beside the cart, within arm's reach. Now, he's the caretaker's son. He's been around the ark for a long time. So when the Bible mentions his irreverence, it is likely referring to this proximity, that he was not fearing the Lord and was walking too close. Remember, only priests are supposed to move the ark, and only after having been cleansed. There's a big procedure to it. So Uzzah was not respecting the Lord's holiness. Now, it's kind of difficult for us to understand this, but we have to remember that the ark is not a symbol or a relic. It is the manifest resting place of God on earth. Now, the Pentateuch, you've got the first five books, they've got large sections of passages about how specifically to handle the ark, the preparations that the priests have to do to even enter sections of the tabernacle, and how only on one day a year could the high priest enter the Holy of Holies. Again, after a detailed and extensive purifying ceremony. So there, <laughs> there could probably be like a whole sermon on the ark itself. But what I, but I really want you to just take out of this part is how immutable the holiness of God is. No sin can survive in his presence. And so anything sinful will be destroyed. You know, as, as a side note, this kind of really shows us how powerful the salvation is of Jesus is, that he kind of forever stands between us and the Father as our high priest, so that we can go directly to the Father without worry of our sinful nature and the required function of a human priest and unholy and holy. So, you know, how fitting is it that this morning we celebrated communion, the symbol of the blood that allows us to access the Father and heaven. All right, back to my main points here. So after Uzzah is struck down, we see that David's response is anger. Why is David angry? So the text doesn't really tell us, but we can probably surmise a couple quick and easy reasons. First one is he's misunderstood or feels misunderstood. David has done this with the best of intentions. He loves the Lord. He wants God to be honored by moving the ark to Jerusalem. So his motives are right, he feels. So why would God bring judgment? He feels he has been misunderstood. The second one is humiliated. <laughs> David has been publicly humiliated. The celebration that he has been leading in front of 30,000 onlookers has ended in disaster. As if God does not approve of moving the ark, maybe in the people's eyes, David's relationship with God is being questioned. So there's a lot of things going on for David. And in his anger and his embarrassment, we also hear doubt in David's response in verse 9. How can the ark of the Lord come to me? And I think while David is reeling in this situation, we see a little slip of the tongue that reveals David's personal impetus to move the ark and one of the reasons for rushing this process. David really wants the blessings that the presence of the ark brings to where it resides. David wants those blessings for his new city, for his new capital, and yes, for himself. Now, there's nothing wrong with seeking the blessings of the Lord, and we should all desire to have the Lord reside in our homes. 
But there is a process, a proper procedure, there's supplication. All of these things must be done so that we have the right heart and we're doing this with the right actions. The third reason I see for David's anger is regret. Judgment brings almost instant clarity in hindsight. And so I believe that at that moment that Uzzah is struck down, David's angry with himself. He immediately sees the compounding mistakes that he had led the people into with this situation. I believe that as a leader, David wanted another big win. He had won his big military victory, bringing a united army against their, their hated enemies, the Philistines. And now he wanted a big spiritual win for the nation as well. Right idea, bad preparation, and wrong timing. At this point, David knew things weren't right. So he did wisely not continue with the ark, but leaves it at the home of Odeb Edom, the Gittite, and then goes home to repent and to prepare. So verses 11 and 12 come to the end of our story here. So thus the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him on account of the ark of God. David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom and into the city of David with gladness. So summarizing the scene, we see David waits three months, then he successfully moves the ark into the city. And while the details are not really in 2 Samuel, other than to mention some sacrifices and the priest carrying the ark, the mirror story of this episode in 1 Chronicles chapter 15 gives us more details of what David did to allow for this successful second attempt three months later. So in verse 2, we see, Then David said, No one is to carry the ark of God but the Levites, for the Lord chose them to carry the ark of God and to minister to him forever. Chapter 15, or sorry, verse 15, The sons of the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles thereon, as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. And then in verse 28, Thus all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting, and with the sound of the horn, with trumpets, with loud-sounding cymbals, with harps and lyres. So it sounds like David got the Lord's message, recognized his mistakes, and spent some time reading to prevent a repeat. During this time, it also mentions that he built a temp tent for the ark in Jerusalem. He gathered the remnants of the Levites. He reconsecrated them. He created a new function of worship to be their mandate. And then finally, he gathers all the people, not just the army, to celebrate the moving of the ark. Sounds like a pretty busy couple of months. So what do we learn from this? What, what are the actions of David showing us about the Lord? So number one, the Bible's important. This probably goes without saying, but we really must take the time to learn and know God's word. While God can tell us in prayer about the answers to our problems, and he does have the power to miraculously save us if that is his will, he also commanded us to read his word and that it should be saved in our hearts. 
And that's so that we don't get into these situations in the first place. If David had spent the time doing what he was supposed to do as king, writing out the five books of the Pentateuch, reading them, he would never have gotten into this situation of moving the ark incorrectly. The word is meant to be a resource to us. It's a weapon against the enemies of the Lord and to give us guidance. We must know it, read it, study it, and learn from it to avoid traps and snares that lie in our wade. And kind of as a, just, you know, a, an interesting point, you know, if we look at the Psalms, David wrote some really powerful Psalms about his love for the word of the Lord and his love for reading it. And he only had the first five books. But I think a lot of that came out of this situation. He learned his lesson, and he learned it really well. Second thing we learn is that God's callings are not usually a one-time thing. We are not usually like Noah, where we get one word, and then we're just going to work for a couple hundred years. God will repeat. He will encourage. He will confirm. So we can't just sprint off when we get that first impulse. Proverbs 19.2 says, Desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. So this is kind of a, a personal story, but a, a couple months ago, I, I was really struggling praying prophetically. I would, I would get these, like, I'd be kind of like hyper-focused in prayer and clearing my mind from, you know, the song lyrics and like Simpsons episodes that would be filtering into there and just like really trying to focus. And then like, I, w I felt like I would get this like little piece of something and I would just like jump on it. And I was, I was kind of getting frustrated. And so I, I was calling out to God one morning praying and he gave me this super clear vision that I was a lion in the bushes and I knew food was coming. There was a clearing in front of me. There was food coming. And basically, as soon as there was like a little rustle in the, in the, in the bush there, and like I saw the hint of red, I just pounced on it. I was wrestling it, and I was subduing it. And like I was, you know, I'm all over it. And then I would, you know, then I realized like it was a steak. And the steak's all torn, and it's dirty, and so it was good. But then he showed me that if I had just sat in the bushes a little longer, as that rustling came out, I would have seen that it was a beautiful steak, and I didn't need to pounce on it. It wasn't going to run anywhere. I could have just walked out and grabbed it, and it would have probably had a little less dirt and grit in it if I had done that. And so this happened a couple months ago, but the reason I bring it up now is that God then kind of re-brought that up to me and gave me different clarity in terms of when we get that first word, we're not to pounce on it. It's not to say that we aren't to be continued to be prepared, and it's not to say that we shouldn't start making actions towards there, but we're not to just sprint and run blindly after it. We need, we need to wait and get more clarity of what his plan is. So relax and let him prepare the way. God will provide the refinement. 
you know, if we look at, at 2 Samuel 23, 9-12, those are the verses we pointed out um, where David asked for advice. He, he asks for advice. He actually asks two questions. God answers one. And then David isn't happy with that. He, he, he does have enough information to probably go ahead, but he goes back and gets more clarity. But with the ark, he forgot to check in, and there were very high costs for it. The third thing we see is timing is very important to God. The famous line in Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 is, For everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. When we try and rush the process is trying to force God's will. It will never work out as well, and we will exhaust ourselves. God knows your need, and we have to trust him. You cannot force his timing to match yours. If you look at the story that we just went to, you know, David, let's say he had continued to, to push the ark through to the city of, uh, uh, city of David. He hadn't yet built a tent. Where would he have put the ark? He had not prepared. So who was going to care for the ark? He didn't have any priests ready. So David was ready for the ark to be moved into his city. But as a leader, did he ask his nation and did he ask God? The fourth thing we see is that intentions do not trump his word. So our heart for God's will will not and cannot bypass God's other commandments. You know, the, the joke about this is, you know, the easy example is that God will not ask you to murder to get ahead. If John gets a vision to say, you're going to be the senior pastor of Five Stones, probably him going out and killing Rich is not the way that God wants him to happen. So, you know, or, so, so we need to make sure our intentions are good, our hearts may be ready, but we need to make sure that we're doing this in the process that God has set out for us. So I leave you with kind of in verse 15 of 2 Samuel chapter 6. Is, so David and all the house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of trumpet. So in three small months of preparation, David and then all the house of Israel got to join in the celebration. So just to, to pray to bring this to a close, Lord, we just... We just thank you that you are a God that speaks to us. And it is not a one-time thing, that it is not a couple times, Lord, but that you speak to us each and every day if we're willing to listen. That, Lord, you, just, you guide the process, that you know the process, that you go before us, that you are behind us and you are beside us. And, Lord, we just anchor ourselves in knowing that you are good and that your ways are good, and that you intend good for us. So even when the timing seems wrong, even when the, the process seems wrong, even when we're just struggling with what the world is throwing at us, Lord, we just trust that, that you are good. You know, this morning as we were singing that song, I just saw, just saw someone hanging onto a flagpole in the middle of a mail storm. Just the wind's just howling around them. They're, they're literally hanging off it sideways. 
and they're just gripping to this pole. And that pole was God's goodness. They were just gripping to it and trusting that their anchor in all of that was going around was that God was meaning good for them. And so if that word's for you this morning, we just pray that um, your, faith, your faith would just be solid, that you would just, again, anchor yourself in the Lord's goodness, that you would anchor yourself in that he means good for you and that his blessings will flow to you. So no matter your, your temporary situation right now and how dire the outlook looks, just know that he means good for you. We thank you for all of this, Lord. Pray this in your name. Amen. Alex brought a word today that reminds us of how we worship. What the story highlights for us is David's heart was in the right place, but his, the way and the methods he did it was not completely the way that God wanted him to do it. And so sometimes we, we have this struggle between our heart and the methods and how we do things. Jesus, when he spoke to the Samaritan woman, he, he, he gave a word to the woman. He said, when you worship God, you have to worship in both spirit and truth. And this is what the lesson is, is that we worship God in both spirit and truth. And it doesn't, it's not one or the other, but it is both. That when we worship, in, if we only worship with truth in the word and we take the heart aspect out of it, the result of that is you, we have a bunch of admirers of the word, and that's it. But it, the opposite is also true, that if we only worship with our heart, with no truth to back up our understanding of why we worship, what we produce is very shallow worshipers. And so what we need is we need the both, both aspects of worshiping in spirit and in truth that Yes, the Word of God is extremely important because it gives us the foundation and the knowledge of who God is. But that has to come with that same heart that David had. That, that heart needs to come with the truth. And so this lesson for us is, how do we worship God? Do we worship God in just this aspect of feeling of our emotions and within our hearts? Or do we worship him in both knowing the character of God, which is found in the truth of God, and in that knowing of truth that brings out an emotion of how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. So Alex brought this message that reminds us of the posture that we need when we come before God. So let's pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for just this reminder that this story reminds us of good intentions don't always produce the result that we're, that we were, we're looking at for. But that good intentions, while walking with God's truth and while walking in God's purpose and in his plan, that things work out. So Father God, we just pray that you continue to encourage us in our walk. Let us seek out your word. Let us seek out um, time with you.
time with our community. And let us seek these times out so that we could come together and worship you together. So, Father God, we continue to lift up our, our spirit to you. Lord, may you bless us this week. And, Lord, may you continue to pour your spirit into our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you guys next week.